So today we're going to wrap up our series on worship, but we're not going to be done worshiping, right? We're like, finally, we can move on to other things like service, you know, or Thanksgiving. No, we continue to worship, but the teaching emphasis is going to move from worship to Thanksgiving next week. Uh, We're going to be looking in the book of Revelation. If you're holding a paper Bible, just go all the way to the end. If you're using the Google Bible, it's spelled R-E-V. Actually, you could just do R-E-V-4 and you'll land probably the right place. Revelation chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11. The early church was powerful. The Holy Spirit had descent. Jesus told the disciples, hey, it's better that I go so that one greater than me can come. I'm going to send the comforter to come and work with you. And the Holy Spirit descended on on the disciples and he descended on the early church and they were doing miracles. They were praying for people and seeing uh, people healed. They were seeing hearts healed. They were seeing uh, dead bodies raised. Paul's, I talked about this last week, Paul's handkerchief was even being taken to people and if they touched the handkerchief that he touched, they would be healed. It was remarkable. The church was growing and expanding and the word of God was being preached with boldness. And the message that was being preached was Jesus is the source of our salvation. Come to Jesus for life. Come to Jesus for wholeness. Come to Jesus for your purpose. Come to Jesus for your, for your, for your ultimate, to fulfill your ultimate purpose in the universe. That is to walk with God and to know him and to be with him forever and to glorify him while you're here. Um, they were doing that and you'd think that because they had so much power that they would be exempt maybe from struggle, right? But as it would be, the power that they were walking in actually made them more of a target for persecution and for struggle and for difficulty. Because as they proclaimed the name of Christ and said, Christ is God, Jesus is God, he is the living God, he lives in heaven, he's not dead, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to walk in power and to reflect his glory in the earth. As they're saying that, the government was saying, no, 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 the emperor is God. And the Christians refused to bow down and say that the emperor was God. They said, no, the emperor is not God. Jesus is God, and it's him who we worship. You know, it sounds a lot like those Old Testament stories we learned about growing up in in kid church. If you went to kids church, you know, with with Daniel. You know, it sounds an awful lot like, like what happened with Nebuchadnezzar, and it sounds a lot like Meshach and his buddies, you know, and, and you going into the furnace, and you know, like, <laughs> that's not a way to start a youth group, right? <laughs> Being thrown into the fire. But, um, so there was this persecution, and they were coming after him. In the book of Revelation... John was on the island of Patmos. He was, in, he was being imprisoned, like house arrest on the island of Patmos. And, and he has this revelation and God ushers him into heaven and lets him get a sneak glimpse of the worship that's occurring, occurring in heaven then and right now. And, you know, I've had conversations with people in the last 24 hours where I was like, we were talking about how it would be to be a fly on the wall for a certain conversation. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall to hear how that was handled. Right? There's normally something bad right? Or something really bizarre. And I'd love to have been a fly on the wall, but John got to experience that by a vision that the Holy Spirit gave him. 
And he got to see the worship that's occurring in heaven. And, And he's going to describe it. But the reason for the book of Revelation is that the people who were being persecuted would know that God is in control. The book of Revelation is intimidating and it's frightening and there are four primary ways and I'm not going to describe them that people interpret it. Is it like, was it accomplished with Nero or does it mean that this is going to happen? Does this mean helicopters? Does this mean what, what's happening in the book of Revelation? But the, but the idea, the purpose behind it was to encourage the people who were being persecuted that God is in control. And, and I, I hope that we can draw that kind of encouragement today. As, as Keith Temple was saying uh, during the offering message, some of us, we just need to be reminded that regardless of how things are or how things feel or how chaotic it is or how bad it feels today, that God is still in control and he hasn't forgotten you. He's not dead. He's not impotent or unable to get to you, to help you, to give you life, to give you power, to give you victory. He's not so far off, but he's intimately close. Though sometimes he feels far. Some of us need to know that his mercy hasn't changed, that his love has not changed, and that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, It's not in my notes, but, you know, just thinking about difficult times. And uh, my wife and I use a phrase called emotional amnesia. And we have emotional amnesia in in our household that when we discipline our kids or when we're short with one another, just in our relationship, um, you're like, Pastor's short with his wife. <laughs> I know it's him. It's not her. It's him. <laughs> how quickly do we forget how much someone loves us when something's awkward for a moment? Yes. How quickly do children forget how much you love them when you're telling them, no, you can't have Halloween candy for dinner? My life's over. (laughs) Right? How much are we that way with God? That we have this sense of emotional amnesia. It's like, we're like, man, God does love me. I, I see evidence of it all the way through scripture. I see everything that he's done in the past to win his people to himself, how he never lets them go. And I see the promise of the future, right? If we're reading the Bible, but then in our own lives, we can see that God has relentlessly pursued us and brought us at least to now. At least to now, he's brought us to here because he loves us. But because things are hard, it's so easy. To, or if things are hard, it's so easy to be like, oh, he doesn't love me. God must have forgotten him. I mean, God must be dead. God must not be powerful. God must not care. But the reality is, he does, he, he lives. He's powerful now and he's able to. So this message is to encourage the church about the worship service that's going on in heaven, especially in Revelation chapter four. So let's jump in on Revelation chapter four, verse six. And we'll go through 11. And before the throne... There was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, 
who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him. Uh, and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns down before him saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. These are the words of the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand what it is that you're speaking to us today through these words. I ask that you would grow in our heart's mind in significance and in importance. God, that we would revere you more, that we would hold you in higher esteem and give you greater glory as a result of, of what you say to us today, according to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to work through the passage just a little bit and make some observations of the scripture to give us greater context and that will ultimately, I'll close with just three brief encouragements about how this passage can inspire and direct our worship, both personally and corporately. So John is being let in on this really intense worship service. It goes all day and all night, and there are these four creatures. And if you're hoping that I'm going to tell you what the four creatures are, no. <laughs> We're not doing that. Not today. They have eyes all around. And when I read that, I started to wonder, I wonder what the eyes all around were seeing. In the presence of God, certainly they saw the glory of God shining all around them. But I wonder if there was also perspective to what he was doing away from the moment that caused them to also worship. Right? Their attention and their focus was certainly on God, but with eyes all around, they could be seeing what God was doing in the earth to glorify himself and cheering it on like, a, like we do our football team when we know that our football team is on the winning drive. You know, anticipation builds I'm going to use a football analogy that I wasn't planning on, so live with it. At the end of a game, if your team is backed up against their own touchline and they've got to get all the way across the field, right? There's some anticipation. They're like, I think they can do it. They can't do it. I think they can do it. And they advance a little bit and you start getting excited. They're like, there's a chance they're going to pull this off. There's a chance they're going to score and win the game. And then they get knocked for a, for, a, for a loss. And you're like, oh, no, it's all over. And then they advance a little bit more. And you're like, they're going to they're do it. They're going to win. We're, we're, we're totally going to win this thing. And then they got knocked back. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> but you know your quarterback's the best. And so you're like, it's okay. We got knocked back. We're going to go. We're advancing. It's okay that there's some loss here. Because we know that it's a part of the strategy to win. We had to give up that so that we could gain this. We've got to trick them into thinking we're going here. And we're really going to take it over here. And you're driving down. And as the team advances, you get more and more excited, don't you? Yeah. It works with soccer. It works with your picture sport, right? Don't get caught on football. <laughs> American football, right? You're like, you're, as your team gets closer to the goal, you're like, we're going to do this. We're going to win. And I imagine the, the angels in heaven going, man, the church is advancing. 
Yeah, there are some troubles. Yeah, there are some famines. Yeah, there's persecution. But the church is advancing. The Spirit of God is advancing. His purpose is being accomplished in the earth. I saw that healing. I saw that person get whole. I saw that person get delivered. It's advancing. It's advancing. And they're not getting so much excited about the advancement as they are about the God who's advancing it. And so they're celebrating and they're worshiping. And then there were eyes inside. Like, what is that? And I think that they had a realistic understanding now, now, what I didn't just say is that the world is getting better and better. Okay, I, I didn't say like the kingdom of God means that things are getting better. Sometimes the kingdom of God is advanced most strongly when things look really bad. The church in China took root when it was illegal to be a Christian in China. Millions and millions of people came to the knowledge of Christ when it was illegal. So I'm not, I'm not saying on either, like, oh, he's saying it's going to be the worst. No, I didn't say that. Well, it's not going to be the best. Well, figure it out. (laughs) And eyes within, their worship of God isn't without some sort of introspection. It's not without some sort of looking in and understanding who they are and where they are. And the presence of God, he reveals that, doesn't he? You really, so we're singing here in your presence, we are undone. It's, It's because it's like, man, God, you're so amazing. And I'm so impatient. Man, I, I just, I can't even drive on 66 without, you know, contemplating wicked things. <laughs> but God, you're holy and just and patient and kind. And so there's this undoing where it's like, and you, you call me by name? And you know me? So what are these angels singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and is to come. Holy, simply put, means unlike anything else. Completely separate from. And God is consecrated to himself or separated to himself. He is holy, W-H-O, whatever, finish it. (laughs) I couldn't decide if there were two L's or one. Don't follow me because I can spell. <laughs> you won't last long. <laughs> but, um, but he's holy with a W, unlike anything else in the world, unlike anything else in creation, unlike anything else in the universe. Because it was all created by him and for him and through him. They cry out, holy, holy, holy. There's this thing called a trihagion, and it's a repetition of a word or a phrase three times. Holy, holy, holy. We see it once in the Old Testament also. It's, when a, it's another man who had a vision of beasts crying out, or creatures crying out to God and worshiping God, crying holy, holy, holy. And it's a way of putting emphasis on a certain thing. You know, if, if the way we use very and really. It was very, very big, right? Or very big instead of saying it was big, big, big. Right? Okay. I don't know why I thought that was more complicated. You know, if you, so if you repeat it, you're putting the emphasis on the thing to make it clear how much it is that thing. So holy, holy, holy. Now in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like, don't babble like pagans, for they think they'll be heard by their many words. So does this repetition violate Jesus' exhortation not to repeat and to repeat and to repeat and to repeat? Because it sounds like all these guys are shouting is holy. 
forever? And the answer is no, it doesn't violate what Jesus was saying. The reason that the pagans would say what they said in prayer over and over and over and over is that they believed that by their many words they would be heard by God. The Christian perspective is that he heard us the first time. The rest of it's for us. He heard it the first time. He heard your prayer the first time, but we continue to pray because as we pray, during, during, if there's a delay between what you're asking for and an answer from God, whether it be yes or no, a clear answer from God, we continue to pray. And during that gap, our faith is built. If you're crying out for health and healing or wholeness or he, like emotional healing or something like that, or if you're believing God for, you know, fill in the blank, as we continue to pray and approach the throne of grace, our faith grows. The alternative is that we quit and we just stop and we let the delay kill us. But the purpose of the delay is that our faith would grow, that it would increase in strength and perseverance. And so the holy, 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 and you know, sometimes when we sing a song over and over and over and over, we do it. And, and as we get more and more, like uh, what are those wonderful, beautiful, glorious, matchless in every way, like we sang it a couple times and I'm like, yeah, I like this. Sounds good. It's good music. And then as we started doing it over and over and over, my, I start to understand in my heart and in my mind, oh, no, no, no. He's, he is wonderful. His love is beautiful. He's glorious and, and worthy to be praised. He's above everything else. He's unlike anything else. He's mad. There's nothing in the world like him. He's matchless in every way. And we sing it and we sing it. And I'm like, I start to get it. And faith swells up and hope swells up in my heart. And it's not like God hears me any different, but he's like, hey, you're getting it. You know, God's sitting here. He's like, you're getting it. You're figuring it out. You know, it's, you're, you're getting it. You're, you're realizing, David, you're starting to understand that I am that amazing. But it took the repetition for me to understand it and to, to lay a proper weight on who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do. Or to give proper weight to those things. Holy is the Lord God. I emphasize the wrong word. Holy is the Lord God. I posted on the city this week about lordship and I'm going to continue to post about our values on the city. The city is where we do our announcements and you can get information and sign up for classes and those kind of things if you want information on that or if I'm going to be blogging for a number of weeks just on the city. If you want to do that, you can just go to the connection table outside those two doors across the hall and, and sign up and say, hey, I want to get added to this thing and we'll make sure that you don't miss it. But I posted on lordship. Holy is the Lord God. The word Lord is a title. The person bearing the title has supreme power and authority. It's not, so Lord Jesus isn't a first and last name. It's, it means sovereign, all-powerful Jesus. But a title doesn't mean much if the person doesn't have the authority to back it up. Jesus was given the authority by God the Father to be king of everything. And he stands with this authority and he uses this authority to forgive sin, to heal hearts, 
to, to heal lives, to, transformed, to transform minds and souls and to bring us into the fullness of a life in God so that we can know him and be with him and glorify him. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we make him Lord of our life and it, and, it, and it can start with remarkably simple questions. It's asking questions like this. What does it look for me, what does it look like for me to follow Jesus in my community today? What does it look like for me to follow Jesus at work today or with my kids today or with my friends today, with my money today or with my calendar today? And then we obey Jesus. And we do what he instructs us to do both through his word and by his Holy Spirit. And you might be wondering, so that's Lord, but he's Lord God. You might be wondering, what other kind of God is there other than a Lord God? Well, there, there are lots of counterfeit gods to use Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller. He's a pastor up in New York, coined the phrase counterfeit God. A counterfeit God is one that lacks the authority that lacks the power, that lacks the, the, well, the power to bring any sort of change or lasting, or especially lasting change. So the counterfeit God of money has no power. Ironically, it writes bad checks. The God of status or fame, and <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> you, you can tweet that if you want to. The God of status or fame or recognition is impotent to deliver you from hopelessness. In fact, it might just heap hopelessness on you. The God of the perfect life or the perfect marriage or perfect children is an illusion. The God of the American dream is our creation. A false God is anything or a counterfeit God is anything that you put your hope into who doesn't actually have the power or authority to deliver what it is that you need. So it stands that the true and living God has the power and authority to deliver what you actually need. Who was and is and is to come. He's always been this way. There's no gap between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Only gaps in our understanding of him. The God of the Old Testament, the caricature is that he's really cranky. And the God of the New Testament is like sweet baby Jesus and he's so kind all the time. But he's the same God. It's not even, like you can, you can not like, you can really find grace in the Old Testament and mercy in the Old Testament. The heart of God, the mind of God in the Old Testament in the same way in the New Testament. We've got these caricature, caricatures that Old Testament, God is cranky and he sits up on a cloud and he's distant and doesn't care. In New Testament, God is a carpenter with a flannel shirt and work boots. Right? Like, I like my baby Jesus or my carpenter Jesus or my hipster Jesus. Right, hipster Jesus, you just add black, thick framed glasses to the flannel and the work boots. <laughs> I need to stick to my notes. They didn't stop with they didn't stop with words. They didn't stop with words, and nor should we. 
it wasn't just enough to cry out, holy, holy is God. And there's, um, what they did is they actually used their bodies to, to reinforce what it is that they were saying. It says that the, well, so the, the actual, the creatures were actually covering their eyes and they were shielding themselves. And so the creatures were even using their bodies. But then you see that the, the elders, the, the four, um, where'd it go? We see that the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. And the 24 elders, it, it, it could be the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles. Whatever the, the actual meaning of the 24 is, the idea is that it's the full church. It's the, the followers of Christ and leaders of the church from the Old Testament to the New Testament together representing, representing us in, in heaven. And, and so, um, but they get down before him and they throw their crowns before him, representing any, any personal gain, any personal authority, any personal uh, greatness that would be otherwise put on them, they're saying, no, in light of God, in the presence of God, no, you are holy and, and everything I bring to the table is, is not any, in any comparison to what you have. I, surre- I surrender all of this to you. And then they take the ultimate position of humility and they get down before him. They get down all the way before him. And, you know, I'll just write. They get down like this, and it's, it's a humiliating position. It's a vulnerable, vulnerable position. Is there anything more vulnerable than this? In the presence of someone who has the authority to bless you or to strike you down. Is there anything more powerful than this? And they take this position and they throw all of their accomplishments. They throw all of their status. They throw all of their, their, you know, for us, maybe you don't have accomplishment or status, but you have a dream for it. It's the dream for it. It's saying, even the dream that I have for these things is nothing in your presence. Even the hope that I have for my own greatness is nothing inside of what your purpose is. What's amazing about God is as we strip ourselves of the crown, he gives us other crowns. But that's another message. They, they fall down before him. They cast their crowns before him. And they say that he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And they even say why. In the case of these elders, in the case of these, this worship service, they're saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. Why? Because you created all things. And by your will, by just your thought, by just your purpose, they exist and were created. Is the purpose for their worship. This is the worship service they were having. How much more of a worship service can you and I have? That not only do we see that God has created everything in and through and for him, but he's also given us eternal life. The angels don't know what it feels like to be wicked and then be restored into the presence of God. They don't know what it is to have their sins forgiven. 
They don't know what it is to have their hurts wiped away. They worship because God's amazing. And we should worship because God's amazing. But in addition to that, we have the privilege of a personal Savior who has called us up out of darkness and has put us in, in, in places of, of victory and put us in place of freedom. And he's given us hope. And he's given us a future. He's given us a name. He calls us his sons and daughters. What a great privilege it is. Then, and not just a duty to worship him. It, it is a duty. But it's a great privilege to celebrate him. It's a great privilege to get a little bit beside yourself and, and to put your hands in the air, to clap or to shout or to, or to cry or to bow down and just say, God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy of all honor and glory and power. God, thank you so much. God, you are indescribable, right? And you just get into it and start expressing a love and an affection and a devotion to him because he's worthy of it. We can follow the examples of the angels or the elders who are worshiping him. We can follow the examples of those who are in his presence. Cast everything off and say, Jesus, I'm here for you. I'm at your service. For our own worship, here's what I gleaned from the passage. Our worship should be to God. It's very simple. Our worship should be to God and to nothing else. Not to the promises of God. Not to the the people of God. Not to the gifts from God. I am not to worship my wife. I'm to worship my God. I'm not to worship my children. I'm to worship my God. I'm to enjoy those things and steward these things. I'm to enjoy you all. You all, Grace Covenant Sterling. I'm I'm to enjoy you all, but not to worship you all. Which means I serve and at for God to God. My service is to God for his pleasure to our benefit, right? And for you as well. If you're in hospitality or an usher or watching kids or singing on the worship team, it's not to the congregation or to the community. It's to God in front of all those people. Our worship is for God. Our worship doesn't draw attention to us, but it reflects the attention to Jesus where it belongs. And our worship is because God, because of his eternal nature, because by him and through him, all things were created, both visible and invisible. Our creator isn't just far off and distant, but he's intimate and near and close. And his promise to us today is that he forgives every sin. He forgives every, every, every part of all the ways that we've turned against him. 
all the ways that we've rejected him, all the ways that we've seen him and we've said no, all the times that we felt him drawing us to himself and we said later. He forgives us of those things. And he restores us and he makes us whole. And he brings us all the way in. Like Jermaine said, the backstage access. And then he lets us perform with him. <laughs> 